people who support transgenderism or gender dysphoria is what it, dysphoria is what it's really called and um, people who have gender dysphoria all argue that it, we were just wrong and there are secretly more than two genders but that ignores all basic science that ignores all science that you learned in you know the second grade because th this this idea that there are more than two genders that none of us can see um, that are all in our heads by the way you know, we didn't pick genders based off what we felt like. When, when, the, when the two genders were made, when we established that there were two genders thousands of years ago, it wasn't, I feel like a male, and I feel like a female. No, it was, I'm a female, and I'm a male. Again, your gender is usually based off your genitalia. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you here. That's essentially what your uh, gender was based off of. You know, it's not based off how you feel. Um, you know, as my, as my idol, Ben Shapiro, says, facts don't care about your feelings. Hi, my name is Noah Huey. I'm the creator, producer, and host of Under the Stars. your voice matters, how do you share your ideas with the rest of the world? Well, I decided to set up my phone on my back porch and talk for a few minutes about the things that were on my mind. Since, I've seen my focus, my philosophy, and my approach to this subject change with the information I receive and the conversations I allow myself to have. This is that story. This is the story of Under the Stars with Noah Huey. How I did Under the Stars um, varied throughout the years that I um, did the show. The show started in 2018, and it was a very simplistic uh, system I was working with. I started by using SoundCloud, of all things, to do my little politics podcast on. And originally, the idea of the show, when I started it, was that it had a double meaning, the name Under the Stars. I was planning on talking about relevant political issues of the time um, or relevant issues to me at the time because the first episode's about free will and school. So that has like, or that's the second episode. The first episode was a lost tape because I did a call with a, uh, a close friend um, who, because for some reason I called and got him on the call, it cut out the very beginning of the show. So you never actually heard, get to hear the first episode of Under the Stars. It's just a phone call I had with a friend. Um, but the second episode was called Free Will in Schools, and that had nothing to do with politics, obviously. I mean, it had some minor things to do with politics, but it was very um, elementary style, I suppose. The way it would work is in the first episode, I sat out on 
next to a table at night when the stars were out, so I would literally be under the stars. That was kind of the whole point I was going for there. And the idea is that I was under the stars and it were under the stars metaphorically talking about politics and stuff. I literally, it was as simple as I pulled out my phone, opened the SoundCloud app, set it up next to me on a table and hit record. And it, and that was it. I was just talking into my phone's microphone. Um, Episode two is the same exact thing. I set up my phone next to my little laptop, my little, it's like this little wimpy white laptop that doesn't even work anymore. We replaced it up for the new one I use now. This little, I would set the phone up and I would just hit record on the SoundCloud app and I would, (laughs) for the intro, and you can see this in, you could see this in the old episodes, like episode three and four and stuff like that from season one. I would hit play on the on my computer on a video of the presidential march song being played i think at the time it was a video by the u.s navy band the version i use now is a it's a well the song itself is in the public domain so i can use it but the the recording i got is one that's free obviously today we've got the wage gap feminism and much more today on under the stars with noah huey Today I am recording the second to last episode of Under the Stars, um, and I thought for this little thing I'm doing here, sorry, I thought for this little, for this bit, I would actually show you kind of the process of doing an episode as of season five, um, so I'm just going to kind of record some bits of me actually setting up and all that and let you get a look into how it actually works. All right, so this is the... Uh... You know, I've since season like four, yeah, I think four season, into season four, beginning of season five. Actually, no, all of season four and season five, I've been doing it from right here at my little desk in my room. Um, to, for today, I don't normally do this. You can usually see it. I'm going to move this jacket that's hanging here and throw it off. So there's a little bit of a process that comes with um, setting up this, you know. First and foremost, I come and take out my big bag of recording equipment because... I have that hidden right here, just where I am. The first thing I pull out is the uh, <clears throat> sort of the adapter, which helps me uh, modify and try and perfect sound as much as I can before I actually edit anything. Um, so I can control uh, mic in terms of actual volume and the gain and um, all of that. So I plug that into the computer before I even plug anything else up or open up any of the systems, because right now I've got the script for episode uh, 16, which season five pulled up right here. And then I get out this microphone. This microphone was just given to me by, by my dad a couple years ago now, like at the before the beginning of season one, I think. In fact, the, this microphone is largely the reason I even do this. 
it's a big stand-up mic really meant for like you can set it up to actually record um like a song or something to that degree but I, i've i've set it up multiple different ways if you remember back season two i had it once sitting like way up high and the mic was down on me but i found that i i tend to work better with it if it's set up like this across from my um, computer and all that and uh i'm gonna fill that up with water in a moment what i do then is i take this this is the actual microphone um cord and i first of all untangle it as much as possible i want this to be as easy to clean up as possible given that i'm working with a ton more than really what i even need to i, I could always get probably a hundred dollar microphone um usb microphone and get relative not just relatively good audio but um some impressive audio um but given that this is what i already have i think this whole system was like or this not this but the whole microphone thing was i think about fifteen hundred dollars um when it was bought um and that's early 2000s i think is when he got this originally i saw the microphone and my my eyes lit up i had an opportunity ahead of me so i got this and the little you can't see it but there's a little adapter over there that i've been using this whole time to get the audio into the computer i would I plug this up and you can, again, you can see this in like the 2018 finale, which would have been the season one finale. I, I would plug this up and I would record the video on my computer. And back then that was it. I just recorded the video of me talking on my computer and I would use the audio from the microphone, which picks up things very nicely in my opinion. And I would upload them to at the time YouTube. And I didn't do, I did SoundCloud a little bit. I quickly realized however, that SoundCloud was not really in my opinion, a viable option. And so I moved to recording audio things onto my computer, putting them into my, a Google Drive. And then I, I think it was 2019 or 20, it could have been 2019, halfway through 2019. I don't remember. This would have been season two. I created a Google site. Uh, you know, Google has this free, you know, you can make a website, a little free website. So I made a free Google site. Um, four under the stars that I used for a very long time, like up until season four, I think. So, well, it's not really a very long time, two years, but a pretty long time. And it was a very convoluted process where I would record the audio, upload it to this Google Drive that was slowly running out of space, mind you, and I would put the link up on the website, and I used to do a thing where I would upload the YouTube video and the audio separately um, that quickly would change as time went on. And that's how I did it for roughly two seasons is I would upload the audio to, uh, my Google drive. I'd link it to the website. I'd post a video on YouTube. And I think it's uh, necessary here to talk about, um, the, the clips I would and did for a while post on YouTube. Um, I deleted my old under the stars, YouTube channel, um, simply because of the fact that it was on a different Google account and I don't, I tried to save the videos, but it definitely wasn't going to happen that way. So I just deleted it. So unfortunately they're all gone. Um, but there are, there is a new one with like five subscribers now, um, that has a few clips from the last couple episodes of under the stars. I'll keep those up. Um, basically when I got into the groove of things and when I was a little bit better with the technology, I would take from the video clips of the video, you know, it's simple stuff. I would take from the video clips of the video, a portion of the theme song was the opening for all the um, videos I would post on YouTube. And I'd post little clips and stuff like that. It's as simple as that. Things, um, changed at the end of 2020. 
I wanted to move sites, and I wasn't sure how or what I was going to do. I for, I for some reason or another, I just wasn't satisfied with the Google Sites thing. So I remember I, for a long time ago, used Wix all the time. Like, their little Wix is free thing. You can make a website so long as you have the little Wix advertisement on the top of the website. I was like, you know what? I'm already using Google Sites. I feel like it, at least with the Wix thing, even uh, with their free um, option that people can have, it they work more with the algorithm to find it. Like if I were to tell you to look up under the stars, um, with Noah Huey on YouTube now, um, or on Google, I should say now, uh, if I were to tell you that when I had the Google site, you would not find anything. You would have had to gone to the specific link that I had put on my Instagram and, um, Twitter now Twitter bio. Um, so I created a Wix account and a, and I won't go through the every single version of the website because I changed it around a lot. You know, at one point I used to have a blog on there, but then I started writing blogs on Medium, so I got rid of that blog and wrote them on that website and just linked them on the website. You know, uh, for seasons three and four, I used to put the audio of every episode on its own separate page, and then you could also click the link to listen to it later. I changed that eventually, and season four or five, I think it was, season four, the the... They used to. They started going up. I started. I was able to work with Spotify and put them up on Spotify, and then also um, put them up on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, uh, Pocket Casts. A lot of these po- uh, podcast sites. Basically, I got an RSS feed. Is what I should be saying here. I got an RSS feed, and I pu- started putting them up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and so on. Uh, a little later on, Spotify let me put up videos on there, so I started working with the podcast in the in the sense that I would make the video and upload the video as the podcast, and then on just everywhere else, the audio would be what you hear. And um, I'm sure that's going to apply to this episode as well. Um, from there, it's just been history. I've I've been uploading things there. I would link my blog to my medium blog just to that website i would link my uss feed to make it easier so i didn't want to have to upload videos every day in terms of how i did this podcast it's been a slow and grueling journey it's been me learning how to use technology it's been me learning how to um make a, a podcast episode sound good and in some cases later on look good and it's just me learning a lot about how to use the technology um to make a podcast and i think it's indicative of um the fact that it doesn't costs it doesn't have to cost a million bucks. You don't have to be a, a Joe Rogan type and sign these really expensive deals with um, companies to do this type of thing. You can do it. I mean, in essence, almost for free um, with anything you get. You you don't even have to get a microphone like this. This is just one I was given. You can find like an a hundred dollar uh, blue microphone that a USB microphone that you can just plug straight up to your computer and you can do a, a an impressive quality podcast with very, very little. Um, And I think that my years on Under the Stars have proven that that was the case. So, why I did it. It's an interesting story. Um... In 2016, during the presidential election, I was apolitical. I was a little 13, 14-year-old kid who had moved out to California for the second time to live out there for a couple of months um, because I was pursuing a career in acting. Um, I had heard about Donald Trump 
um, a, multiple times. I had no idea who that was. I didn't really understand why people were talking about him. Um, but he won the presidential election, and me just being me, I, I just, I was in California when Trump won the, the his 2016 presidential election, and that was the first. I just like sent an e- a, a little message to the Facebook page of the Donald Trump campaign and said congratulations, and I, they sent me a little automated response like thank you, you know da 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 da, and just at that time we left California, and at that point I was I felt that this whole thing about having a career in acting probably wasn't going to happen. And I, um, I guess because of the 2016 election, if I had to place it at a specific date and place, it, I guess during the 2016 election, I found myself just reading up about politics a lot. And I kind of fell down this rabbit hole and accidentally fell into a conservative echo chamber. And I was just, I became super conservative politically and I started wearing suits simultaneously. And then, uh, like on a casual basis, I would wear suits and ties to school. If I can, I'll find pictures and throw them up there. Um, And I just kind of, I don't know, I became like a conservative ideologue. I was like, every... Like every staple conservative ideological talking point you can think of was basically my playbook. You know, I, you know, the the use of the phrase the radical left happened a lot. I would talk about Ben Shapiro. I think I a- actively called him my idol in an episode. Um, and I, I, it was just I, I don't know. I just fell down a conservative rabbit hole, and I I guess I wanted to talk about things that mattered to me, and something that I think inspired me to do that I mean yeah would have been Ben Shapiro believe it or not and I, I actually still I thank him for that because if it wasn't for Ben Shapiro I probably would not be here today four years later doing this final episode um, I just I remember listening to him and agreeing with his viewpoints which you know now I, I don't say I agree with his viewpoints I'd love to talk to him about those types of things but I I wanted to be able to share my views, which were similar to an egregious extent. Like I was basically just a little mini Ben Shapiro saying the exact same thing as Ben Shapiro, except less intelligently and with no research whatsoever on my side. I would just, I just wanted to sit down in front of a camera, I guess, and talk about things that bothered me at the time, which was all I knew how to do as a conservative ideologue. I think I was just upset all the time because I wanted the world and America to reflect my beliefs and my beliefs alone. And I wanted to try and explain to people why I felt that that was the best way to go about things and about the issues that were happening at the time. Season one and two was super conservative because of that. I I wanted to share that. However, I think something changed between season two and three. I, I don't know. I, I let myself be open to more viewpoints because I wanted to be proven wrong because I was told, you know, I was always led to believe by Shapiro, by Ben Shapiro, that, that I should listen to what's true factually. What is, you know, the, his classic saying from like 2016, that's on all the Ben Shapiro Rex Libtard college student thing videos from 2016, those like MLG compilations. It was all his slogan was facts. Don't care about your feelings. Well, the thing is, I actually believed that. And there was a point in my life, like season two, season three, which would have been late 2019, early 2020, that the facts were not aligning with my feelings. The facts weren't aligning with with my feelings that all trans people are just mentally diseased and should be forced to live by the gender that they were born as biologically. 
the facts weren't aligning with me that there's absolutely no good that comes from the feminist movement, even in the modern day. The facts weren't lining up with me that Donald Trump was a hero and a savior for democracy and he was the best thing that ever happened to America. And the thing is, because I believed that facts don't care about my feelings and because I didn't just use that as a slogan, which in my opinion, respectfully towards Shapiro and the other members of the Daily Wire, I feel he does not really do that. I feel that's more of like a, a, talk, a lame talking point used as like a, a thing that you can sell merch with. The thing is, I actually believed that. So when the facts I feel did not align with my feelings, I reassessed what I believed. And slowly but surely, I found myself leaving the right. And I moved a little more about center left. And then 2020 happened. The 2020 presidential election, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say, was one of the most like chaotic times in American politics. In the, my let's see, my 2021 book, MAGA The Trump Experiment, where I wrote about Donald Trump's presidency, I spend a lot of the time explaining that he had a negative effect on negative, on negative, on political discourse in America for both the right and the left. The right became emboldened that they, that their belief systems were the ultimate good always and forever and had to be enforced. And Trump was like their grand savior to do that. And the left became even angrier and in believing the same thing about their ideology and wanting to fight Trump. And the 2020 election is where it all came down. And during that election season, I am perfectly willing to say right here and right now that I probably was the most upset I've ever been in my life. There are plenty of episodes where I went on rants and tirades. Or is it tirades? Is it tirade? Yeah, it's tirade. Um, I went on rants and tirades against Donald Trump, against Joe Biden, against the Democrats, against the Republicans. There was not a single point during the election season, which would have been late season three of Under the Stars, that I wasn't just going on tirade after tirade after tirade about this election season, about these parties. And I think at that point, politically, I felt that the two major parties, that the political compass and mass had a monopoly on power and they had a monopoly on the political discourse in America. And I'll talk about this more in a, in a moment, but I felt the best way to rebel from that the best way to fight that was to devalidate their political titles. So I became staunchly independent, staunchly, like I, I don't identify with any political ideology or party. I think you would probably find me on the center left of the political compass, but my response to that is I don't care. And the 2020 election really spearheaded that and I found a new purpose for Under the Stars. And that was for me to be able to try and talk about that, a political philosophy that I have been, I had been, and to this day I still am, developing of reason and empathy as the two core pillars with which we discuss political problems or political issues that are happening in America and around the world with a focus on a need for independent government. A government that doesn't serve the needs of a party or an ideology exclusively, but serves the needs of the people based on core pillars of freedom and security, um, which is a political philosophy that I'll expand upon in the final, in this next upcoming section of this final episode. But what I found to be true about Under the Stars in general was that it was like my soapbox. It was my ability to stand up in the town square and say, hey, here's what I believe. Here's what I think we need to be focusing on. And I, I found that to be really effective. 
if there's one thing I could say I wish I did more is I wish I had more guests on. I, I, I'm not good at getting people to sit down or sitting down with people on this show and talking about those issues. So I spent a lot of this show just hanging out by myself, just talking into the air. And it wasn't always successful. It wasn't like, I think to this day, I think at most I've had like maybe 50 listeners. And I'm very grateful for the 30 to 50 people that at, during the time I actually did this show would tune in. But I think that that really at this point became less important to me than just being able to sit in front of the world and say, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And as the show went on in both season four and obviously this last season, season five, I think I... um. I became more about correcting myself on screen. I wanted to imply my humanity. I wanted to show to the fullest extent that I'm not perfect and that I'm not a god of truth and nobility. I'm not Donald Trump or or I'm not Bernie Sanders or or Joe Biden who thinks that my ideology is perfect and my party if it ruled all everything would be amazing and America would be perfect. That's I don't think that's the case. I think the world is too complex for that to happen. And the whole point of this podcast after the 2020 election, most certainly, but even before was so that I could sit down in front of the world and tell and, and just have a space where I could say, here's what I think's going on. Here's how I'm approaching it. I'm a human. I make mistakes. There are plenty of episodes on the show. And I'm sure if you've listened or if you've gone back and listened, you'll know where I'll the next episode, I'll open the second, the episode after one. And I'll say that last episode, I kind of went off the rails. I apologize. And that's kind of been the point of the show in the last four years. It's for me to try and show my humanity and show the need for someone to be human in these kinds of experiences, to be more than their political ideology. And um, that's always been the purpose of this podcast. And I hope, I really hope in the last four years, I've been able to do that um, I successfully. And I hope that it will inspire any future listeners or listeners who have been here this whole time in the last four years um, to help with that. I think that would be really nice. So, America's report card. Being as that this is the last episode of Under the Stars, and being that this is a politics, a news politics podcast that I've been doing since 2018, since my freshman year of high school, and I graduated high school a couple weeks ago, obviously I, I want to talk about a few of the things that I think matter and a few of the things that have happened. There's a lot happening in the world right now, and I think that I, I kind of want to start with the actual news, and I'll go into my political philosophy one last time, and we'll close it off. Um... You know, there's been a lot of recent news about the January 6th commission, January 6th committee, excuse me. And I think that there's a kind of purposeful blind eye being turned to that by a lot of conservatives or right-leaning independents or centrists. Um, And I think that's unfair because I think that's people wanting, that's people legitimately saying, hey, gas prices are up and inflation is killing us. We're sorry that we don't care that much about about this January 6th committee thing. That is a totally legitimate thing to feel. However, at the same time, there's a lot of new and important, impactful stuff that's happening right now because of this commission. I mean, we are revealing, we're learning that January 6th rioters nearly got close to Pence. These are people who said they wanted to hang him. We're learning that Donald Trump told his advisors in the White House, hey, that might not be a bad idea. We're learning so many of these 
awful things that have happened at the behest of the former administration that I think really matter. And I think it needs, it, it tells a very important story about the way American politics has moved since I started this podcast. Donald Trump injected American politics with some kind of gross, gooey plasma that has made all of us more angry and spiteful and, and pitiful. And I think we, he's really made us a more hateful, angry nation in terms of our politics. And I feel like people don't want to hold him accountable for that because he was elected on the premise that he's going to make America great again. He's going to bring us back to the good old glory days, uh, largely the 1980s. A lot of his voters are a lot of disillusioned people in their 50s through their 70s who remember that period as this amazing time under Reagan. And he's been sort of like their way to try and go back to that. There's been a, you know, if you speak historically, there's been a political shift in this country. I wrote about it in a blog talking about this recent abortion ban leak from the Supreme Court. There's been a historical shift in the culture wars, which I think are stupid and pointless and a waste of time and a distraction to keep us completely... Because the thing is, the point about the culture wars, and I, I'm sorry to get off on a tangent, but I feel like that's kind of the point of this episode. The thing about the culture wars is that they are... They, they're, they are a, a victory-less game. The, the problem with the culture wars is that from both sides of the aisle is that they need to be won. Wars need to be won. They need to have winners. And the problem with having winners in a constructive democracy, in my opinion, is that winners in a democracy, in the purest sense, should only ever be an election. We have winners in elections. But beyond that, we need constructive leaders who focus their candidacy and their administrations on solving problems with the pillars of reason and empathy as the means with which they discuss those problems and the means with which they actually go about creating solutions to then solve the problem itself. Whether that problem be trans rights or gun reform or um, voting access or, or even things as small as maybe seemingly unimportant as, uh, uh, um, excuse me, Philip, the Philippines, uh, I think it's the Philippines, I could be incorrect, statehood for basically U.S. territories or or inflation, or gas prices, or um, those types of things. There, you know, that's why I think American government. I, that's why I think the American government, the American system of government, is one of the best in the world. I think it's the best, one of the best in the world, because of the way we set it up in an incredibly federalized system. And I think that system can be often um, abused, and I think that it can often be slow because of its bureaucratic nature. Um, but I think that that reform doesn't mean replacing it because I don't think there's any other system of government on earth or conceived by man that is yet to be able to be as complex yet simultaneously um, able to pass general ideas and p philosophies through policy the way we do because we can set national mandates that are then specified on a state, federal, and local level. Things that only matter to your town should only be addressed by your town. Things that only matter to your state should only be addressed by your state. There needs to be cooperation. That's one thing that if I had to say about our system that needs to be um, strengthened is we need more cooperation. We need government where the state and the federal government are not butting heads. Heads, They need to be able to shake hands and work together to solve these problems, where the state and local governments can work together to solve those problems. They are going to have conflicting interests, but I think there needs to be a level of cooperation because that's how you're going to have a federalized system of government that, in my opinion, works the best. Um, and I think that's important to... Um, to highlight. 
as we go into especially the primary elections this November. Speaking on that matter, at the end of the day, I believe that the two-party system doesn't work. It, in my opinion, like I said, this show has been about me preaching a philosophy of, of tolerance and empathy and independent government. The government has no obligation, nor the right, to serve the needs of any specific party or ideology. It, ha- it needs to serve the needs of every single person in the country. It makes perfect sense why political parties form. That's a natural thing to happen, and I expect it to continue. The thing is, the two parties in control in the United States today, in my opinion, have created a duopoly on on political power. They have a monopoly on political power that they use to enforce their worthless culture wars that I think are just ultimately an attempt by both sides to create a cultural and political police state that enforces only their ideology's mandates, completely throwing out the validity of the freedom and the self-expression of other people. There needs to be a level of discussion on when a person's individual rights end and when their their devotion or when their um, obligation to the rest of their society begins because there is a line there, but it's being massively blurred by both sides of the aisle and both sides of the aisle don't really care to try and set up those boundaries so that people who, who want to be Christian or want to be a specific domination of Christianity can do that. So people who believe, who, who have gender dysphoria, so people who are trans can get the kind of medical care they need so that people who go to school so students don't go to school fearing whether or not they're going to be shot up by a terrorist so that people who live by conservative or liberal values can do so it's not the government's job to say conservative values are the godsend truth and have to be enforced it's not the government's job to say liberal values are the objective truth backed by science and have to be enforced we have to govern based on a sense of empirical reality, obviously. We have to see what the empirical data suggests. We have to see, we have to have some sense of truth, obviously. But there is a level of personal and interpersonal communication that I think comes with uh, interpreting reality based on our partisan subjective experiences, because that's how, that's how partisanship comes about. We live different experiences throughout our lives. We live different experiences over the course of our lives, and we come to different conclusions on what the purpose of life is, on what our duty in life is, on what society is supposed to look like and sound like and do, on what the role of government is. However, I think the problem is we want to, as partisans, win government. We want government to only reflect us because we convince ourselves, I think wrongfully, that we are the objective truth. Because at the end of the day, history has proven to us that we as a species are perfectly okay with oppressing and even killing people who disagree with us. Every major nation and empire on earth has done this. Every All the way back to Mesopotamia, to... Um, to ancient Egypt, to Rome, to Greece, we have a bad problem with saying we are the majority in society and we must enforce our political values onto the rest of the world. And I think that that's something that in the last four years has become exacerbated by political figures like Donald Trump, like Joe Biden, and by the Democratic and Republican Party. And the problem is they have a monopoly on political power in this country that they've ascertained using the amount of money they've acquiesced. Over the centuries, both the left and the right, liberal and conservative political parties and political ideologies, I often use that term interchangeably, so excuse me, 
they have attained a serious amount of wealth that they use to flood our discourse with propaganda that, sorry, only we are allowed to exist because only we have the righteous or correct opinions. So then the, the, and I don't mean this as an insult, but especially back when literacy was a, um, was a privilege, the feeble minded or the illiterate would, they would believe that because that's what these authorities say. They say, we are in charge. We are right. We are correct. You must do what we say, register for our party and vote for us, and we will save everything. Now, the feeble-minded and the illiterate back in the colonial times would have believed that. I mean, that's how the revolutionary system came to be. That's how it was successful. It's because men like Washington and Madison and Jefferson were these intellectual, educated men in a time where being intellectual and educated was a privilege. And they used that to gain garner support for the revolution but then after that they used that as a means to have the feeble-minded and the illiterate become part of their political parties because i mean at the end of the day they genuinely did believe that their parties were the objective truth and objectively righteous and had to have power in order to promote a, what i would call an ideological utopia based on their political beliefs now of course the the democratic and the republican party the democratic republican and the federalist party the anti-federalist party the whig party there was a little there's these parties phase in and out over time, but often what you'll find is that their basis is on the same line of generally conservative and generally liberal values based on government uh, intervention in society. And the thing is, these parties gained a massive amount of control at the beginning because most of the country was, was made up, you know, the middle and lower classes were not very literate or intellectual people. And then later on, it was because of the amount of money they were able to garner from these supporters that they would that they would flood into our society. Um, the only the, the biggest threat to that power, I would say, historically, would have been the invention of the internet and the slow, slowly growing um, mass communication between people. However, I think that the Democratic and or the Democrat and Republican parties had an upper hand on any other party, say whether they're libertarian or communist or um, Green Party or all, any of these other parties, the upper hand they had is that they had already spent over 100, over 200 years gaining money and support and flooding the discourse with propaganda that, sorry, we are the only parties that are allowed to be here. And despite it being illegal to, to blatantly say that you're not allowed to vote for anyone else. At this point, I feel one could argue the Democratic and the Republican parties have done absolutely everything but tell voters you're not allowed to vote for anyone but us. Because of the amount of money they have in politics, because of the amount of influence they've had in politics, the, the invention of the internet was not as big of a threat as it should have been to them because they simply could flood money and rhetoric and propaganda there too. And since the internet has become a tool for radicalization, people are becoming radical Republicans, radical Democrats, are becoming radical liberals and conservatives who believe that only their political ideology can and must survive and that all others uh, must fall. And I think that that's been massively detrimental to the United States and to the continuity of the United States. I think that um, the, the point at which we are moving is a matter of whether or not we will, as Americans, decide to stand up to this kind of bullying. Because at the end of the day, that's what I feel it is. It's a lot of bullying. They, I, I wrote about this in my, my new book that came out um, last month, Hanging in the Balance. I wrote that um, 
because of the amount of influence and because of what I call the partisan paradox, which is a system in which they flood the discourse with rhetoric that only they are allowed to win, then voters, whether they be online or in person, they internalize these beliefs, whether they're radicalized online or they're just told to believe that, and obviously they fall for it, whether they're dedicated partisans or they're apolitical people who simply just go for it because they feel uh, pressured to do so, which a lot of people do feel pressured to vote only for Democrats or Republicans rather than by their values as people. They then believe they believe by that metric that only democrats and republicans can win elections and so they say if you vote for anyone else your vote doesn't count and so by the virtue that they don't don't ever vote for anyone else the democrats and republicans only ever win and because that because those are the only people ever getting elected and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in which you think it's true because it's happening but it's actually happening because you think it's true democrats and republicans don't win elections or aren't the only ones that win elections because they're the only ones who can. They're the only ones who win elections because you believe they're the only ones who can. In an election where, let's say that 50 million people voted in the next presidential election. Let's say that um, 20, let's say that 10 million voted for um, the Democratic candidate, 10 million voted for the Republican, and 30 million voted for um, an independent or third party candidate. The Democrat and the Republican won't magically win the election, obviously. that the, It would be that third party or independent candidate. But because of the fact that the Democrats and the Republicans have such a monopoly on political power in this country, they're able to convince voters, even to a delusional extent, that, no, sorry, only we can win. And therefore, people only ever vote for them either because they feel intimidated to or because they are passionate Democrats and Republicans and vote for them. And, of course, it's always good for apolitical people for these parties to simply either give in and vote for them or don't vote at all. Um, and I think that that's a big problem in America that's become exacerbated by the last four years. There's been an increase, I feel, in partisan rhetoric. And the thing is, though, that doesn't mean there's no hope. Uh, a recent Gallup poll—well, first of all, Gallup polls since 2004 have been showing that more people in the United States actually identify as independents than they do Republicans or Democrats. The general trend has been that roughly 28% identify for Democrats— 25 to 28 percent identifies Republicans. 40 to 50 percent of of polls of people in these polls tend to identify as independents. So at the end of the day, the American people, I think, aren't stupid. Like at the end of the day, we we do recognize that the system is toxic and doesn't work and doesn't solve the problems and doesn't base their solutions on reason and empathy, but rather on partisan rhetoric and ideological utopia. And I think we're getting to a point now where we're going to reach a crux, and that's. If I can tie this all up, that's what I hope I've introduced on this show in the last four years. That's what I hope this podcast has helped listeners be. Whether you're a dedicated Democrat or Republican, or you're someone who's unsure, or you're a, a staunch independent or a centrist, um, like I would consider myself, I think that I, my best hope or my best desire um, out of the show would have been that you can see that we are reaching a point where we can, and I think have an obligation to bring down this this Goliath. This is the two-party system is the Goliath and the American people are David and I think we have an opportunity to take down the behemoth of political monopoly, of political delusion, of ideological delusion, of one-size-fits-all solutions that the two-party system represents. That doesn't mean we have to get rid of Democrats and Republicans. Their voices matter just as much as independents and third parties. In fact, there are some really great candidates in both parties. But they, it's time for them 
to do the right thing, such as George Washington did when he gave up his authority over the Continental Army and relinquished the, the amount of power they have over our political system so that other people with other ideas can have a say in government as well and we can work together as a whole American population to solve the big problems that our country faces with actual solutions that work for the people of the United States. It makes sense that we, we would want to and we need to advocate for our personal beliefs. Republicans need to advocate for Republican beliefs. Democrats need to advocate for Democratic beliefs. However, we need an independent government that does not respect one party or one ideology over the other so that we can work together to solve the problems that our country faces. I know at times when I've said this before on this show, it sounds idyllic and out there and just, oh, this could never happen. You're being too idealistic. But I don't think it's idealistic. In my opinion, in my opinion respectively, I don't only think this this end goal is attainable. I think it is the best possible outcome. Do I think it's perfect and will create everything great and if we just do this, everything will go just snap, it's going to be sunshine and rainbows? No. But I absolutely think that it would be the best next step for the United States and for its people and for us to solve the many thousands of problems we're facing today from climate change to gun reform to abortion. Um, And I think that it's... I think right now we're at the point that it's a matter not, not if we're going to stand up and stop this and do right by ourselves, by our values, and by the values of the United States that, in my opinion, reflect general, um, a general aptitude for freedom and security for all people. I think it's a matter of when we choose to stand up and do that. And I really hope that this podcast over the last four years has been an opportunity for you to hear an opinion that's not your own, to see that humanity and politics matters, and to see that we have a need for people who aren't hyper-partisan maniacs who want to enforce a political and cultural police state and want just a country where people can live by the values that they determine are best for them. Whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Christian or atheist or you're gay, straight, bisexual, trans, polyamorous, uh, monogamous, whether you're conservative or liberal, that you are able to live a life of, of dignity and contentment by your values, that you're able to wake up every day, go to a job that you want to go to, earn good money, support yourself, support your family, support your community, that you're able to engage civically with your local state and, and yes, the federal um, government in a way that advocates for your ideology to ensure that yet you're not being oppressed by a government and that you are not oppressing others in government. And I hope that the show has at some point or another inspired you to advocate for that. And despite the fact that it is ending, I do hope that um, I'll see you again and that I can continue to be that kind of voice um, for that um, uh, over the course of the last four years and hopefully in the future when I, I do hope to inevitably, inevitably return. And all of these things that I've talked about and all the many, many things more that I would love to talk about I'd like to continue to grow this philosophy. I'd like to continue to talk to other people and try and learn from their experiences and learn from their beliefs so that I can become the most well-rounded person I can be. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what your biases are, including my own, I think we have an obligation, especially in a country as diverse as this, to become the most well-rounded conservative, liberal, centrist 
independent nothing at all that we can be, the most well-rounded people we can be. I think a country, a democratic government, a democratic country like the, like America is best served when its people are diverse and well-rounded. And I hope that in the last four years, that's what this show has provided to you. Um, and I hope to provide that again in the future. And uh, just to close off, I want to say thank you so much in the last four years for listening, for supporting the show. Um, and I, I really can't wait to see you again in whatever form I see you. Um, uh, if I can, I'd like to throw in some reminders. You know, follow my Instagram and my Twitter. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And um, you can still access the End of the Stars website. Go back, listen to old episodes. Find my blog on Medium. Um, again, I really do hope to see you again. And I hope that this podcast in these last four years has been somewhat impactful on you as it has been massively impactful on me. Thank you so much for listening. And I, I can't wait to see you again in another time. In the last four years, I devoutly recorded, edited, and published five seasons, a hundred episodes of this podcast. To say it was a large or well-known is an absolute lie. In the last four years, at most, I saw 30 to 35 followers in the time I was actively uploading episodes. But this show has always been the place where I publicly crafted theories, stated my mind, and engaged with ideas. Thanks to that time, I broke out of my echo chamber before I ever learned what an echo chamber was. And in that time, I've learned a great deal about who I am and what I believe. Under the Stars was me putting myself to the public trial of the century, allowing even my worst ideas to be shown to the world. It's a testament, I hope is evident, to my values and transparency and commitment to public service at the subjugation of an audience, even if small, that will criticize me. And when I inevitably return with whatever's to come next as the better formatted version of this soapbox, I hope that same value is carried over with it, as it is the basis of my political philosophy independent governing at the spectacle of a critical, though patriotic, public. Thank you for taking the time out of your days over the last four years, or in the future listening back, to listen to what I had to say, arguing with me, and expanding upon my ideas. It's been a pleasure and an honor. And until then, I'll see you later. Bye-bye.